Hi, and welcome to another Market Voice podcast. I'm Katie Raymond. FAA traveled to Singapore at the end of November for the annual Asia Derivatives Conference, bringing together the leaders of the Asia-Pacific Clear Derivatives community to discuss the future of our markets. At the conference, FAA CEO Walt Lucan sat down with the European Commission's Ugo Bassi to discuss the progress of the EU's Capital Markets Union, including digital assets regulation, third country CCP recognition and equivalents, and other key work that could have an impact on the Asia-Pacific region. Here's Walt Lucan's full conversation with Ugo Bassi. Well, what a real pleasure we have today to have a, a nice chat here with Ugo Bassi. Um, he has is, is been a, uh, for those that don't know Ugo and his role um, at the commission, but he's, he's been, if you look at his career, he's been with the commission for more than 20 years, I saw. That's, more than 30. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 30, 30. 30 years, 30 years. <laughs> that um, doesn't make me young. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but he certainly has a long view about Europe's development of its, of its capital markets, of, of its financial system, um, which we're going to dive into here in a bit. You're director of financial services at DG FISMA for the commission. For those that don't know that, um, that is, is, is the part of the commission that oversees the regulation and public policy of, of the commission and helping set the agenda of how regulators are, are, uh, are overseeing the markets there in Europe. So thank you again for being here today. Uh, we want to get a bit into some of, the, some of the things that fall into your um, responsibilities and roles. So tell us a little bit, the, the job of director of financial services at DG FISMA, what's in your portfolio? Um, you oversee financial markets, so give us a sense of the different files that you're overseeing, um, and also your background a bit, and how you got to your current role. Thank you, thank you. Good, good morning, everyone. Very happy to be here, by the way, and uh, to be in Singapore again after a few years. And thank you very much for the invitation. So I'm a lawyer by background, and I started my career at the European Court of Justice. I was really into, into law. And then I moved uh, to the commission uh, uh, middle, mid, mid-90s, uh, where uh, I started uh, in what at that time was called DG Internal Market. And uh, because you, you, you may, this is, this is a, a, fu- a funny story. There's no real legal basis for a financial markets and services policy in the European Treaty. There's no legal basis as such. We have created one back in those times on the basis of the rules uh, uh, um, which impose the liberalization of services in general. And, uh, you know, thanks to the uh, very brilliant uh, minds of people working in that space at that time, it was extended uh, step by step to financial services. Um, so I joined the, the, the crew, uh, uh, as, as you said, more than tw- that particular crew around 20 years ago, and we have experienced you know, the financial crisis where, and at some point, of course, uh, the agenda became uh, uh, an inevitable one with, uh, with, uh, under Michel Barnier. We've uh, put forward more than 40 initiatives precisely in order to fight the 2008 financial and economic crisis, uh, 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 and after that, you know, to basically make uh, the whole system more resilient, uh, and so on. So within the GFISMA, I deal mainly with uh, uh, accounting, uh, audit accounting, uh, 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 credit rating agencies, uh, 
post trading in general, so clearing is my, in my portfolio as well. Uh, securities markets, so me fear, me feed, market abuse, prospectus, all those rules are in my portfolio, and I also de deal with the asset management uh, policy. So basically, I do everything but banking and insurance. And what is important for those who are not familiar with the system, as you said, uh, uh, Walt, uh, um, we don't do, we are not supervisors because we do not supervise directly uh, businesses, and we are not regulators, probably speaking, because we do not produce rules uh, ourselves, uh, we propose rules than, that uh, uh, Parliament and Council have to agree upon, and then uh, they become uh, EU law. So we do the proposals, and this is uh, an important role, but not, we don't have the final and the last word. And you mentioned the financial crisis. What are some of the major uh, files and public policies that you put into place um, I guess in the United States, we had Dodd-Frank. Dodd um, but where do you see all of those different files at the moment? And yeah. do you feel like we're, we're done with the financial crisis reforms, or we're still mid-flight and, and tweaking here? <laughs> that's, that's an interesting question, because we're almost uh, 15 years after that, but still, I think, building a, a, a completely resilient framework. Just an example, you said, well, what, Emir was one of the building blocks you know, of the post-financial crisis uh, agenda, and we are still working on it in order yeah. to adjust it and to make it function. Mifid, Mifir, uh, distribution rules uh, uh, were also uh, crucial at the time in order basically to strengthen, to reinforce investor protection, and we are still uh, working uh, on them. Uh, so uh, we basically, I think that we will never, we will never stop. It is a, an ongoing process which was launched at do, during those days and which is still, in a way, going on. And you mentioned Amir. If we could dive into that a yeah, bit, sure. um, so that's a very active file right now. I understand that both Parliament and the Council have are getting close to reaching their positions. Um, explain, um, you know, every country has its own legislative process of how these things come together and you have sort of a trilogue system that yeah. allows the three parties of the European government to come together exactly. on the ultimate solution. Where are we on that? And, and maybe even explain a bit about Amir 3.0 um, and what that, is, yeah. that entails for our markets. Yeah, I'll try to do two things together. One, explain the process and uh, say a little bit about the substance. Uh, yes, precisely. This is typically the example of what I was saying. So we have proposed a text uh, to the Parliament and to the Council. Uh, and by the way, we will have to say a few words about the end of the mandate, which is coming uh, in, a few, in a few months. So everything will change, but I will certainly come to that. Yep. So, um, uh, so we proposed a text with some adjustments uh, to the existing rules, to existing rules of what we used to, what we call Emir 2.2, um, and uh, the purpose, uh, the main purpose of uh, these changes was basically to reduce uh, excessive exposure that Europe has towards uh, clearing uh, um, uh, euro-denominated uh, derivatives uh, outside uh, the EU. Uh, let's say, boundaries, so basically subject to supervision of uh, uh, a third country supervisor. So we thought that it was good to uh, set up rules uh, aimed at uh, making EU a better place to clear, 
a more attractive place to clear, a more resilient place to clear. And of course, we thought that, that uh, uh, the market on its own was not enough. Some help was needed with some rules, very calibrated, very proportionate rules, in particular the one imposing an active account. Yep. Um, and uh, uh, you know, also in addition to that, uh, we thought that it was good uh, to strengthen uh, or to increase the central light to a certain extent, again, in a very proportionate matter and within a number of limits, uh, uh, increase the role of ESMA uh, in the uh, um, uh, supervision of uh, uh, EU uh, uh, CCPs, uh, knowing, of course, that ESMA already has a very important and crucial role in directly supervising third country CCPs. So um, this was the main objective. So we put the proposal forward. The parliament started to work. Um, for a few months, they worked on their own, let's say internally. And the council started uh, its own process. Uh, and member states started to discuss. So at the end of this process, which can take uh, months, and it usually takes months, we have basically three texts. One is the text that the commission has proposed uh, in the first place. Then we have the text which has been agreed upon by the Parliament uh, on the basis of the internal politics and dynamics, and then we have the text which has been liquidated and decided by the Council. And then we start with the, what we call trial. I don't know where it exists as a word, probably not, but these are those meetings where the three institutions sit together, and usually for my files I am the one, the lucky one, attending those meetings. We sit together with the Parliament and the Council and we make sure that at the end of this uh, final process, which can last as well a few weeks, if not months, we have one final text that everyone agrees upon and this will become EU law. And in case of directives, then it needs to be transposed into the law of the Member States. In case of regulations, it is directly applicable. And one word on that, after the financial crisis, one of the consequences that uh, in order to ensure as much as possible a single rule book between the different member states, we have tried to go for regulations much more than we did in the past instead of directives, precisely because they are directly applicable and there's no need to transpose, there's no need uh, of, a, of a national filter. In the U.S., we do have something similar. I used to work in the Congress called reconciliation. It's when the yeah. House and the Senate have different texts and they bring them together. It's very similar to what happens in the U.S. Um, but we're, so now we have three positions. Yes. Can you talk a bit about where some of the differences might be in those positions? It sounds like there's agreement on active accounts. Um, qualitative versus quantitative. I think FIA, just for the audience's understanding, has been opposed to quantitative because we feel it splits liquidity in the markets and may be harmful for Europe. Um, but I, I want to understand there are some interesting ways that the different versions are trying to deal with that fragmentation. And I don't know if you want to get into some sure. of the details. Well, details, uh, it's complicated precisely because we are starting this uh, trial of discussion. Uh, uh, these, uh, these discussions, uh, we're going to start them uh, mid-December if uh, uh, everything goes in the right direction. But you're right, there is certainly uh, um, a, a, an agreement which is emerging within the Council. It has been very difficult uh, to find agreement within the Council 
because of different diverging views from different member states. And this is one of the very interesting dynamics of our system is precisely that, you know, there are compromises at all levels. So even within the council, it was important to find compromises. And different member states had different views. Some of them were opposed to active account principle itself. Some of them are, were more uh, um, uh, supportive. Um, uh, we, the parliament uh, uh, is supportive of an active account. Uh, I think that the, uh, let's say, the possible agreement that I see emerging, but of course, I mean, this is speculation, is uh, an active account uh, which is uh, not purely symbolic, so something which is really active. Uh, will it be uh, quantitative or qualitative? This is really to be decided because the parliament would like to see it qualitative, but with the role for ESMA to decide what it means in quantitative terms. And some member states, although they might be tempted by the idea of a quantitative active account, they might not like the fact that they are not going to be in the front run when decided what this means in quantitative terms. So it's going to be an interesting debate to see where we will end up on this. The other aspect where uh, there is uh, discussion and, uh, and uh, heated debate is on supervision. Because, um, and here traditionally there's no secret, the council is always a little bit more conservative when it comes to entrusting ESMA with further, with additional uh, supervisory powers. And uh, uh, there's no uh, uh, revolution or change in, within this file, while the parliament is traditionally pretty supportive. So we know that the starting point of the two institutions is that uh, uh, member states do not want to see significant new uh, competencies uh, uh, for ESMA uh, and the parliament asking for those with the commission, of course, on this specific aspect, sitting clearly, uh, uh, siding clearly with the parliament because, of course, the commission is always very uh, happy uh, to delegate more powers to ESMA. We always believe that, you know, in general terms and not only in that particular space, uh, if we want to go towards a true capital market union, uh, uh, we need basically to go as much as possible uh, uh, towards uh, uh, harmonized supervision. If not an harmonized supervisor, at least harmonized supervision in some specific sectors. In my own personal view, is ESMA does a great job. We have Klaus Lober here who's going to be on the next panel, and they, they have real expertise on, on these markets, and um, you know, hopefully it breaks that direction in the trilogues. I, I do want to talk about the Capital Markets Union. Yeah. Um, I think FIA and, and many are supportive of Europe strengthening its capital markets and the benefits it would provide the global marketplace. Um, what, what are the pillars left to, to, to build on there? Um, certainly, there are some of the things we've talked about with Amir 3.0 and other provisions, but what, what is left, you th do you think, that might be helpful in strengthening that movement to build a stronger European capitalist union? No, I, um, I fully agree with you, uh, Walt. I mean, this is, uh, capital markets union is no longer a nice to have. It's becoming a, a, a fundamental. I mean, we, we spoke yesterday in a panel how much money is needed in order to deliver on sustainability, in order to deliver on the technological transitions, in order to support innovation. Right. We need, Europe needs to, you know, to 
Europe is starting in some aspects to lag behind and needs badly uh, this, uh, the, the amount of money which is required in order to uh, be, um, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to be competitive. And that is precisely, just if you allow me a small digression, uh, in the, although we don't know exactly what the new priorities for the new commissions will be, um, we can expect that the competitiveness will feature uh, prominently uh, in the political agenda. We can see it from the fact that President van der Leyen has entrusted Mario Draghi with the task of putting forward the dra drafting a report on competitiveness. So we expect this to become uh, very important with all the opportunities and challenges which go with it. So when it comes to Capital Markets Union, a lot has been done. Um, I had the pleasure to be a part of the really the, 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 the beginning. Uh, we launched the project uh, in 2015 or 17, I don't even remember, but uh, a, a few years ago. And I remember that the first action plan included no less than 70, 70 initiatives, 20 initiatives uh, of uh, a legislative nature and 50 flanking measures of different nature. We at the Commission delivered them all. The Council and the Parliament did their job, not as quickly as we wanted, but all this first batch has been put in place. Um, the second action plan, 2020, included, uh, uh, featured the 21 initiatives, and again, the Commission uh, uh, did its homework, the Council and the Parliament as well, so everything has been, uh, well, not everything has been fully delivered. For example, for example, the Listing Act, which is uh, one of the uh, pending uh, uh, proposals, which is still, uh, uh, you know, in that phase that I've just described of trialogues, uh, still needs to be finalized and agreed, but I am confident that this will happen in the coming weeks. But as I said, uh, uh, so a lot has been done in, uh, in the area uh, of uh, the Capital Markets Union project, um, but uh, uh, I think that uh, not all has been done. I think that, uh, um, and this is very personal, please don't quote me on this, this is my personal view. I think that, uh, uh, I mean, we have uh, achieved a lot by making uh, small, uh, specific proposals aimed at addressing specific uh, uh, problems, like, for example, in the Listing Act, uh, alleviating the obligations in terms of prospectuses or alleviating the obligations related to certain obligations relating to the market abuse framework without compromising on, uh, um, on uh, investor protection, I believe. So we've done a lot of small uh, little things, which certainly will help. But if we want to see uh, uh, meaningful results quickly in this space, uh, we need to do more and we, we need to scale up the ambition of the project. And uh, again, this is my personal opinion, for the new mandate, I think that the Commission should uh, uh, not refrain from uh, looking into areas which have been considered taboo up until now, like uh, insolvency regimes in the member states, like uh, taxation, like uh, pensions, again, securitization, which we've seen 
is not, is not yet fully used and is not delivering the expected results. So look in an open manner to those big possible change makers which could really make a difference. And uh, in addition to that, it should also basically have a discussion upstream with the legislator, with parliament, the new parliament and the new council, and check what is uh, politically feasible and what is not, and focus on big projects, big change makers, as opposed to introducing a small, useful, but uh, 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 limited uh, changes like we've done in the past. This is my personal opinion. I'm not sure that uh, it will be uh, the proposal that uh, we will make to our new policy masters. Uh, I don't know, but that would be my suggestion if we want to scale up this project quickly. Otherwise, it will become a lengthy project which will deliver in a few decades, we will, which, which is also a, valid, a valuable internet alternative. But as I said before, if we need this money in order to finance innovation, I, need, uh, I think we need to scale up the project quickly. And there's not just one way to do it, is to look at areas we've been uh, you know, uh, away from for political reasons up until now, with the support, of course, of the legislator, which, as I said already, is the one which ultimately will put the signature on the, on the law. Is, is there any efforts to change sort of the culture of investing in Europe? Um, we, the last panel, um, Michael Peters from Eurex talked about the difference between Asia and the US, where there's a lot of people who trade and have their own brokerage accounts, and, um, and not as much in Europe. It's more public savings. I'm, I'm generalizing here and I apologize. Yeah, sure. um, but are there things that are being done to try to encourage um, in, the, in the capital markets investments more of a culture of investment and savings, and um, I'm just curious if yeah, that's no, part of the issue. Absolutely, but I mean, for example, just one example. One of the proposals that we've put forward and which is now, again, being discussed by the legislator is the retail investment strategy. And the retail investment strategy is precisely a package which aims at bringing households, retail investors, close or into financial markets. Mm -hmm. we, we, we pay the absence of households from the financial markets. It's an untapped potential, an enormous one. And these are uh, all uh, initiatives that are aimed at basically uh, 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 filling, filling the gap. Uh, it is difficult. I mean, these are, because, you know, again, uh, Capital Markets Union, the purpose, one of the purpose of uh, the project is precisely to make Europe's economy less dependent uh, uh, on uh, banking, le bank lending, make it much more, you know, uh, uh, and make the use of capital markets uh, 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 much more uh, at the service of the real economy. This was one of the objectives. But again, uh, we are in this difficult, the policymaker is in this very difficult uh, um, uh, dilemma, which is uh, how to basically ensure that those processes, those evolutions, which should be or could have been natural, are helped by the legislation without disrupting business models which work and without imposing business models which do not fit with the culture of uh, uh, the market uh, uh, will, which will be impacted. 
Let's turn to a different topic, the commodity markets. And last um, year was quite a volatile time in Europe with the invasion in Ukraine. Um, you put in some, some, some measures to make sure that markets were orderly uh, during that volatility, including the TTF price cap. Um, we're now heading into winter again. Um, my understanding is that that also expires in the new year is, is my understanding of that provision. Um, what are, what are the, what's the thinking of the commission as we head into potentially another volatile energy season in, in Europe? We, 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 we are, of course, very, very vigilant, very careful. We don't see, luckily, clear signs of uh, a crisis like the one that we had uh, in exactly during this period one year ago. Uh, but we're ready to prolong the measures if needed. In addition to that, our colleagues from DG Energy are uh, working on prepared uh, a, a gas package, which is, uh, a, a, let's say, a package of measures which is no, not only like, you know, uh, the price cap, which was uh, an ease uh, specifically addressing one uh, issue, um, uh, but they're trying really to put forward measures which will make the system more resilient in global terms. We are cooperating with them. Uh, so in a nutshell, we will see whether we need to uh, put a, a, a extreme emergency measures on the table again in the form of, uh, of renewing the one existing or in adjusting them. But what is probably more important is that we look at the uh, long term and we put forward measures which will make the system more resilient. Well, I want to hit on crypto, uh, or I'm sorry, not crypto, but cybersecurity right. resilience. And uh, DORA, I think, was passed by, by um, the European Union on this. And it, it's, it's already in place. Is that correct? True. So how, how, are, um, how is DORA helping to try to mitigate some of the cybersecurity risks? I mean, we, we had uh, ICBC last two weeks ago in the United States that was quite concerning. Um, and given the Treasury market's involvement uh, with, with that uh, cybersecurity breach, we had in our industry ION um, in the spring, which, uh, you know, again, wasn't systemic, but caused us great concerns. So how is DORA helping to resolve some of those issues? We, we hope that it, it will. It's now EU law. Of course, the EU law uh, as an additional complication is that uh, uh, in addition to what we call level one, which is, let's say, the basics, we also need a number of uh, implementing measures in order for each law to be fully operational. So now we are in the business of, uh, again, with the help of ESMA, of putting those in place. Certainly the objective of DORA is precisely to strengthen the resilience um, uh, of the businesses and facing precisely on preventing or facing accidents like the one that you mentioned, Walt. Uh, now, I have to be very honest with you. I'm sure that is going to be extremely helpful, and we are confident that we did a good job. In this space, uh, there are no certainties, because we were discussing this yesterday uh, in my panel. I mean, uh, uh, you know, um, sometimes uh, uh, scammers in particular <laughs> are, very, are very good at, uh, you know, at innovating uh, much more than we are good at uh, legislating in order to uh, uh, face uh, uh, new, uh, new, new possible schemes for, 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 for scams. So what is the real issue uh, in this space uh, is that um, uh, we have to be sure that we are not lagging behind with respect to, to the evolution of the market. 
It's a very interesting and challenging space. Opportunities, a lot of opportunities in, uh, uh, in the technological transition in general, opportunities that the policymaker needs to encourage. At the same time, of course, it needs to balance that with the highest possible level of, uh, uh, of, uh, of uh, investor protection. And uh, uh, as I was saying yesterday, uh, for us, uh, the dilemma is precisely where to put the cursor. Uh, and I think that it's a dilemma that we share also with our uh, 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 colleagues uh, on the other side of the ocean with whom we discuss uh, very often these issues. Um, what is also interesting to notice is that uh, uh, very often uh, the products that are, re are more risky uh, on the market, precisely, sorry, because this is this, uh, this, the technological transition helps basically to fill the gap that we were discussing before, yeah. uh, making people closer to the financial market. So in a way, it's something that we need to encourage, but at the same time to uh, look very careful at. So I was saying, what is uh, also in particularly challenging here is that many products are put on the market by companies which do not belong to the usual financial services and markets community. So they are not regulated, highly regulated, as those the market participants in the traditional uh, uh, financial uh, services area are. And therefore, there is an issue of level playing field, and there is an issue of lack of coverage, and there is an issue of lack of trustability. You know, all these things need to be addressed while at the same time uh, uh, trying to encourage as much, as much as possible the healthy uh, 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 part of that industry, which can be also extremely helpful. Well, when we, we studied um, the cybersecurity event, we realized there's really an impossibility of stopping these attacks from occurring, even successful attacks. And so we quickly switched to resilience. Yeah. That just Let's just assume attacks occur, they're really? successful. How do we recover, make sure we have redundancies? How do we get the market back up running quickly? Um, and we felt, hopefully, that that's the best place for us to help focus our efforts. Um, I did, we only have a, few, a little bit of time left here. Um, so we're heading into um, Commissioner McGinnis's term expires in the spring. Um, parliament, uh, there's a new parliamentary elections coming up as well. Just looking forward, I mean, you've been at the commission, as you noted, for three decades. Um, are you optimistic looking forward of, of where you are where, with the agenda and the long arc of building these capital markets heading into next year? I, I need to be confident and need to be optimistic <laughs> because otherwise my job will be very difficult. But I'm, I am, genuinely. I think that, um, uh, uh, I mean, a lot uh, will depend, of course, um, on the results, on the outcome of the elections, which will take place uh, uh, late spring, beginning of summer 2024, and which will basically influence the choice and the appointment of the president of the commission, who can be uh, a new one or could also be uh, a new mandate for uh, uh, President van der Leyen. Everything is, uh, uh, is possible at this stage. So we will have uh, new uh, balances, uh, or, uh, or we will confirm the current political balances, uh, and a lot will depend on that. We will have a new commissioner for financial services, uh, but uh, now I have to add a personal, uh, a personal note here. As you said, I've been there for decades, so I've seen a few 
changes in the, uh, let's say, political management of, the, of Europe in general, of the EU, and of the Commission. And we've seen a bit of everything. Uh, but in the end, I think that uh, we've never lost hope, uh, and we've always uh, found the, a good way with uh, all our commissioners, uh, even the most reluctant ones, because we had a few in the past who uh, came uh, with, uh, with a lot of personal hesitation on what they were, <laughs> what they were doing, uh, even in those cases, we found uh, ultimately a way uh, to work together uh, with uh, uh, reciprocal uh, trust, uh, a, mutual, a mutual trust. So, uh, yes, I am confident. I look at these changes uh, always with uh, uh, enthusiasm. Uh, I'm sure that, uh, as I said, uh, for the Capital Markets Union project, I have my own... Uh, ideas, and I am confident that I will be able to speak uh, with people who will take the ultimate decisions, uh, who will probably understand, follow me, not entirely, but will at least listen. And this is, uh, this is very important. So uh, to make a very long story short, yes, I am positive, and I'm sure that we will continue to work in that direction. Uh, the only question is to see how and to, in, in, in what kind of uh, timelines. But. Well, Ugo, thank you so much. It's, it's, we are very fortunate to have you in your current role um, and your experience. And FI is, is so uh, grateful to be working with you and your team. And, and thank you for coming to Singapore. Um, Ugo privately mentioned to me that the, the best part about coming here is being able to talk to the industry participants um, directly and understand how the markets are working. So that's the kind of leader that we have in the European Commission. We appreciate you coming to Singapore to, to join us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Walter. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide investment, tax, business, legal, or professional advice to any individual or entity. Unless specifically stated otherwise, neither FIA nor its members endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, opinion, product, process, service, individual, or entity presented or mentioned in this podcast. FIA makes no representations, warranties, or guarantees as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the podcast content. Reliance on the podcast contents is done at your own risk. FIA disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special of consequential damages arising out of any use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or its contents. Any commercial use, resale, or redistribution of this podcast without the FIA's express written consent is prohibited. Copyright 2022 FIA, all rights reserved. For more information, visit FIA.org.